1: Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a
0: bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe and we'd like to say thank you to everyone that supports this podcast and especially this week to Keir Byrne, our new patron. Thank you so much, Keir, for supporting us. And if you'd like to be like Keir and uh, support this podcast and get loads of goodies, pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support, Mr. Stay. We've had a busy old week, haven't we?
1: We have. I went to the London Book Fair, which was great. Bumped into, bumped into all sorts of people, including uh, um, uh, including all sorts of listeners as well from the show. I saw Karen's story. Uh, I saw uh, uh, Katie Baker. I saw all sorts of people, did a few talks, uh, and didn't catch any lurgy. I went to a big, major public event and didn't catch anything. Thank oh. you. Hand sanitizer and vitamin C.
0: There we go. Brilliant. <laughs> Times are a-changing. That is awesome news. And we had a fantastic... Uh, we had a fantastic presentation and coaching session on Monday with lots of podcast listeners that join us, patrons that we've never seen uh, in the flesh, so to speak. Yeah. And it was lovely. It was so, we had tons of people and it was so lovely to, because it's, podcasting's fun, isn't it? But I do miss the fact that we don't get to meet, I mean, I know you get get out and about a bit and you get to see people at events, but we know that there are thousands of you out there that that allow us to go into your ear holes every week which we feel very privileged about um but uh, it was so nice to, to to actually see names and then a face and it's like oh that's you and uh so thank you to everyone that joined us it was just it was just absolutely lovely to meet you all and we must do that again sometime mark because it was a ton that's of fun. fun wasn't it really yeah, was good fun really really, really, good. really was good fun excellent stuff now folks if you have already started the 200 words a day in may uh we just want to encourage you keep on going this podcast going out very early mate but if you've missed the first it doesn't matter you can start from the whatever day it is in may for you but like see if you can write from today onwards to the end of may if you want to join that go along to the 200 word challenge uh which is 200 wordchallengecom we're trying to encourage people to write as many words as they can or as much frequency as they can, I should say, in May. So do join in on the fun with that. So Mark, we've got a ton of stuff to get through with Social Media Day. So we're going to dive into this week's guest.
1: Katie Brent is a freelance journalist. Uh, She started working magazines back in 2005. In 2006, she won a PTA Award for New Journalist of the Year. And she's got this amazing Dark comedy crime debut is called "How to Kill Men and Get Away with It." It's perfect for fans of "How to Kill Your Family," "Killing Eve," and we got we talk about so much. We discuss writing a serial killer the reader can root for, being fearless and pushing boundaries, and getting a deal without an agent. Oh, and just a little warning: gets a little bit sweary. So if you've got
0: you know sensitive ears then uh, you might want to skip this one. Or, or kids in the back of the car, as we know some of you will do as you drive around. Yes, so, excellent. Well, let's dive in and listen to the fascinating Katie Brent. Katie Brent, welcome to the bestseller Experiment. How are you today?
2: hello i'm really good
1: thank you how are you uh, i'm, I'm Tiggity boo thanks for asking and all the better very bright orange color uh, of this oh. book this has definitely brightened our spring here and <laughs> um yeah, how to kill men and get away with it which is a fantastic title but not its original title we might come and talk about some of the alternative yeah. titles at the moment um but <laughs> this is uh, this is an absolutely you know very very funny bang up to date kind of book um Tell us how it came about, because I'd like to talk about some of the challenges of making a mm. character like Kitty Collins kind mm. of engaging in, in the way that it comes from that long line of serial killers like Patrick Bateman and Dexter and uh mm. where well, you, you're kind of on her side, aren't you?
2: <laughs> yeah, that and that's kind of the sort of the the obviously the idea that I wanted, but also the what was going to be the the huge challenge um with that character, really. It, it's very hard to to sort of get inside the head of I mean she she let's call a psychopath a psychopath you know (laughs) um she is um but to try and get inside the head of her and yet make her still compelling and I hope likable I think likable quite a lot of people have agreed that she's likable not everyone (laughs) um but yeah, it was it I mean it was it was a bit of a journey and it has been a bit of a journey but it started I would say around 2018 I would enrolled in a um Faber online course to do um oh, I can't remember the name of the course now it's it's writing a novel and it's basically a, and it was an online course on how to sort of get the first 15,000 words of your novel nailed um which seemed a brilliant idea to me because I'd sort of had this idea floating around in my head that I wanted to do and sort of how I pitched it to the course because you have to sort of go through an application process. How I pitched it to the course was as a a stabby sex in the city and my my original idea for it was to kind of have, you know, this sort of close-knit group of, of female friends but one of them is actually, she sort of when like a man upsets one of her friends or, you know, breaks one of their hearts instead of sort of giving her wine and ice cream and, you know, advice, she actually just, just sort of goes and offs them. So that was the <laughs> original idea behind it. And I sort of, I really wanted to create this sort of like, I mean, it was supposed to, the original idea was supposed to be, you know, really pure, quite comedy. Um, but while I was writing it, I think the sort of social landscape really changed we had um obviously the me too movement um and i it was sort of during the process as well it was i i'd sort of decided that if she was going to to kill these men they had to be sort. Of, they had to be quite monstrous in order for us to to be able to empathize with the main character i mean you know i i, I don't think you'd be able to feel sort of very much empathy for someone who was killing someone just because you know they cheated on her friend or something like that so the 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 the, the male characters that become victims ha- are quite monstrous and that was it sort of it, that really changed up the kind of tone of the book really and um, and then I kind of I sort of put it down for a while um just because you know life jobs children <laughs> Pandemics, um, yes. all of those things, <laughs> all of those everyday occurrences. So, um, <laughs> it was during one of the, um, I think it was the sort of the the second half of. I've forgotten how many lockdowns there were in the end, now, but I, I guess it was the second half of 2020 when I picked it up again and and started um started looking at it again. But this time it was kind of through it was through a much different lens because. I guess there was so much dark news and there was so much sort of um, you know, the the rates of domestic violence and, and women being killed in their homes and all of this kind of thing during lockdown had shot up. And then obviously in the aftermath of that, there were you know, the the you know, a couple of, of horrible, horrible murders um in this country. And I know over in the States as well, they had quite there were, you know, a few sort of she was just out for a run. She was, you know, so I wanted to kind of like capture that kind of feeling as well, because it was becoming, I think, you know, there was the vigil for Sarah Everard and it was quite obvious how strong this feeling, this, this rage that women, women couldn't even go out for a run, couldn't go out for a walk. You know, I think there was a whole, there was a lot of anger about Sarah's killing um, where people were trying to victim blame, basically saying that she shouldn't have been out. And it's, you know, well, you know, so it's trying to, trying to really sort of to, to capture that feeling. And just so in Kitty, I wanted to create this character who was just the, almost like the embodiment of this rage, the, the, the feeling, you know, that, it's women are, t- you know, it's women have just, it's, it's, it's just, I, I don't even have words for it.
1: Really, well, you've, you've just, put in, in, in the dedication here, you said, This is for every woman who has ever walked home with her keys between her fingers. And that weird and full disclosure, because I've been writing a novel with my wife and we've written a character who walks home at night and she does exactly that. You know, mm. that thing of having the key between your fingers like that, just in case, you know, something happens. and it's Yeah, um,
2: and and there's there's so many things like that. I mean, I remember there was something going around on, on I think it was Twitter, which was, you know, it was basically how not to get killed. And it was like, <laughs> how about people just stop killing? Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> things that, you know, have have your keys between your fingers. Um, don't wear your hair in a ponytail if you're out running, because apparently that's a grab it's easy to grab if you're going to park your car and you're alone park it under a street lamp so you've got the light. um and it's like all of these things that you like as a as a female you've got to consider just you know going to the shop or 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 it, it you know and it's a lot and it's just
1: yeah I, m- I remember recently there was a, a commercial I forget what it was for but it had a woman jogging might be for training shoes and she's jogging at night and I remember social mm. media was like no way I'm going no. jogging at
0: night you
1: know Whoa, no way no,
2: exactly exactly I know I remember I remember seeing that as well and thinking oh, that, that won't be happening but it's it's that you know I'm guessing that commercial was obviously designed and made by a, a male team but, um, <laughs> what? but yeah it, it's that sort of feeling and the other thing that I was thinking about the other day that was quite interesting as well is that um things are becoming more and more keyless. So it's almost like, you know, cars, homes. It's almost like this one kind of weapon that you, one thing that you can possibly use as a weapon. And that's sort of being taken away now as well, which, um, you know, I'm sure that would cause Kitty a lot of problems down the road.
1: <laughs> well, let's let's talk about the, the capturing that tone because it is still a very, blackly funny you know that there's a very Mm. dark streak of comedy running through it in that american psycho kind of dexter dexter uh tone as well and as you say you you went away from it you came back and this is a a, you know a subject that people feel very very passionately Mm -hmm. about and you don't want to be too flippant about it so Mm. what what, how did you manage and capture the tone How, how did you work on that without step crossing a line or were were there no did you sort of write fearlessly and then worry about it later or
2: i kind of did it fearlessly and then sort of worried about it later yeah. um and it it seemed to come out quite naturally um there are a few things where i had to sort of it back quite a bit because i probably gone a bit too far several times and i was like oh but um what the, the way i look at it um is that i think you have to have that 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 comedic feeling to it because otherwise without the sort of humor and I think particularly um I want to go on a different tangent but I'll try and finish this one first I think um without the the comedy of particularly some of the you know the murders the the murders Kitty commits are are very over the top and, mm. you know, they're not going to happen. They're not yeah. based on any kind of reality. They are quite ridiculous. Um And I think it, it without that, it would be just a very, very bleak, unhappy novel about male violence against women. Interestingly, what the tangent I was about to go off on um, was that, the stories um about the women so uh, you 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 you've read it uh, so you'll know that the the, the sh- kitty targets men who have escaped the justice system pretty yeah. much um and a lot of those stories a lot of the women's stories are based on real news stories so the, right. the the real, you know, there's been a couple of things I, I've seen online about, you know, glorifying violence against men, but it's completely the opposite of that. It's not completely the opposite of that. That's not, hang on, that's not right, is it? Like but it, it, it is that. <laughs> it, um, <laughs> it's, um you know, the, the the stories about the women are based on true stories, true mm-hmm. news stories I've read. Um, whereas, obviously, you know, the, the male killings are, are very, very much not real. Um, so, yeah, so, so, yeah, I think, you know, as I was saying, the it is something, and I was worried about it being flippant because it is such a serious and important subject. Yeah. But I think the comedy, the dark comedy, just it just allows you to sort of delve into it a bit more without it becoming just absolutely bleak. And, um, yeah. um, you know, I don't, I, i couldn't say something really quite controversial now, but um, I was talking to a friend about um, going to see the play version of A Little Life and I haven't actually read it. And um, she'd said to me, absolutely not. There's no way I'll go. Have you, have you, have you read it? And I was like, no. So she was like, look it up. And then come back to me because she said that she'd started reading it and just couldn't finish because it was just so it's such a bleak story. And I know it's, it's, you know, People love it and it's wonderfully written, but its I didn't want to write something that was... I think that as a woman, there's so much of that every day on the news, you know, every single day on the news that is bleak, that there doesn't need to be a book that's equally bleak. Does that make sense?
1: It totally makes sense. And I think by... It's one of the things that satire and humour uh, does incredibly well is it takes really difficult subjects and makes them palatable. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's any less valid. There's there's a lovely line a few chapters in where Kitty says, I'm finally doing something meaningful than just posting photos of myself online, which is a really kind of <laughs> twisted, <laughs> twisted comment on how vapid most of our lives are, you know, chasing likes on Instagram or whatever. Um, but, you know, she's finally found some kind of meaning. Which is when I was things because you used the word likable earlier, and I'm always wary of that. Uh, the phrase likable because it's often uh, it becomes a stick to beat writers with. You know, you have yeah. editors or producers say they're not likable enough. Well, actually, I think <laughs> they don't need to be likable. They need, to, but mm. they do need to be engaging. So with mm. a line like that, you're uh, you're making them fascinating and twisted and engaging, and you know, not just um, a, a one note psychopath. So. So how did, how did Kitty evolve? You said that initially she was part of a group, but she's, you Mm -hmm. know, she's very much front and center of, of this story. How did the, where did she come from and how did she evolve?
2: So I had this idea of the, the stabby sex in a city kind of vibe idea thing. And I wanted to do like, I had in my head, like, um, a kind of like Buffy kind of character who's got this, tight-knit group of friends but you know then she's out slaying vampires at night um, and this was sort of how i envisioned kitty and and i wanted to call it um am i allowed to swear yes you are you're allowed to oh, one okay. <laughs> <laughs> pg-13 <laughs> my original very original title for it was um kitty the Fuckboy boy slayer <laughs> where, like, <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah it was as I say it was going to be a lot more light-hearted but then um so it, it was just I mean I think it was just the sort of tone of everything that was around that sort of really impacted on how I wrote her um she's just this I guess a creation of of modern society um that we're all very much aware of, you know, this kind of privileged Instagram star who um I think most people are very much pre-pandemic. There were just loads and loads of of, of um content um producers <laughs> on Instagram who seemed to do nothing apart from travel the world and, you know, post pictures of themselves in bikinis and exotic locations. And it was kind of like um, you know, take and and the kind of love island um made in chelsea reality show type of person and i remember looking like flicking through some of these instagram um accounts and just thinking like gosh what if one of them had a really really dark secret behind (laughs) all of this sort of you know ads and hashtag blessed and all of this, you know, if, they, if one of them was like actually in their basement is a load of bodies or something, you know, that's a hard, twisted mind. Sorry. <laughs> 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 and um, I think I've said before, you know, um, I, I've, I've, well, I've said in, in other interviews, you know, I've always loved American Psycho, the book and the movie and you know, I wanted to kind of, I, I I wanted to think about how that would work if it was now rather than the eighties. I think the whole social media influencer culture is kind of like our equivalent of of what was then, you know, the the, the yuppie eighties, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so that was sort of how she she came about and evolved. Really, I just started – and then yeah, like, there was things that, you know, I was sort of stuck in watching Made in Chelsea and just thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Why doesn't she just kill him?
1: <laughs> let's let's talk about the title a bit because you mentioned that. Okay. you've you've had uh, a little bit of um, uh, of uh, what would you call it flack or feedback where people mm. are saying, but there, and I remember seeing that and seeing the other titles and thinking, you know, well, it's quite a provocative title. But then I remembered there was a film made in the fifties or sixties called How to Murder Your Wife. Which yeah uh, is becomes a punchline of a joke in Forty Towers where Basil Forty says he's seen it six times or whatever, and we all we all have a laugh. So mm. did you you know how did you get to that title and um were you kind of prepared for the kind of you know feedback that you would get on that?
2: Um the title, oh god, the title is probably the one thing we agonized over more than anything. Right. Um yeah. when I um pitched it to HQ, which is um, the Harper Collins imprint that um, has published it, um, it was called "How to Kill Men and Influence People," which <laughs> obviously comes from so. And that was, I mean, I I loved that title, but they were they were worried that it wouldn't necessarily appeal to a, a cross a sort of age group, as you know. Right. I mean, like people sort of my age, your age. Slightly younger understand where that comes from. Right. So I think they were they were more sort of more concerned that maybe you know the the sort of younger Gen Zers might not understand the the reference. So we sort of brainstormed a few things, and um I really wanted to keep the sort of how to kill men element of it because you know it's basically what the story is about, and. Um, so yeah then we we came up with how to kill men and get away with it and owned and ours about it for a long time because there was the concern that there would be a, a backlash and there ha- there have been comments um i think sort of when it was announced and it it's been out on ebook and audio actually since october but there's been a, a bit of sort of Comments on, on sort of social media saying, you know, if this was called How to Kill Women and Get Away with It, there would be an uproar. And yeah, there probably would be, but for a reason. Um, because, you know, unfortunately, men do kill women and, and often get away with it many, many times. But
1: like I say, it's there was a film, nineteen sixty five, How to Murder Your Wife. I'm just looking it up on Wikipedia. So, you know, there's your answer. It's all that has already been done, you know. So yeah. Um, yeah. yeah.
2: And um, as I was saying, you know, this is fiction. If you want how to kill a woman and get away with it, just you just need to put it on Sky News. Yeah,
1: well, yeah.
2: So yeah, so that's what I mean about bleak.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's let's lighten the tone a bit. Let's talk about because uh, you're a journalist, and I would love mm-hmm. talking to journalists who become authors because. Um, you know it's an interesting shift in how you write what were the what were the sort of the the big adjustments what were the big surprises you found when shifting from journalism to to writing a novel
2: oh just being able to use my creativity again mm-hmm. um massively was was most appealing thing i think i've been working as a journalist i was staff and then freelance and um when I first started, it was back in 2005 and, um, it was for a print magazine. It was for teenage girls magazine called sugar, which some people might remember, but (laughs) it was, um, it was very much feature writing. So it was, you know, we were writing much more long pieces, pieces that were, we worked on that were thought through that we had to put a lot of, you know, there was a craft there. There was, um, you know, I, I did a lot of um, sort of real life stories. So I would speak to um, teenage girls who'd been through a particular experience, and then write out their story, sort of as as if it was their, in their own words. Right. Um, go back through it with them, and and that sort of thing. And there was the ability to use creativity and um, crafting of a story and you know, all of the kind of things we sort of learned in journalism school, really. And I just I sort of found more and more recently, I mean, I'm not a news journalist or anything like that. I've always been popular culture and sort of more recently I've I've written about TV, um, TV shows. And um, that's always been amazing for me as well, because, you know, pre-pandemic again, it was a lot of going on set Um, talking to writers talking to you know the actors um, being able to write you know really colorful pieces about sort of the experience and then obviously the pandemic happened and and there was just such a huge shift in everything it became like it it became a desk job um, and it became going through people's Instagram and trying to find out, oh, what's Molly May been up to today and writing something about that or looking on other, you know, various entertainment websites and, you know, taking stories that they've got and putting it sort of into words. And it it, it became much more about, as things moved more and more online, I guess it became less about The craft and more about just getting it out there as quickly Mm. as you can um and it just sort of i just uh, i I just lost all joy for it really um and i think once you've kind of you you have that feeling about your your job it's um
1: (laughs) yes i've been there um it's interesting talking about you know feature writing for things like sugar magazine where you're taking Mm. someone's story and put it making it as if it's in in their own words because yeah. how to kill men is in first person so i guess that was that was a bit of a training ground for you wasn't it you're, you're kind of getting into definitely. character yeah definitely um
2: yeah because I, I think every everyone pretty much all of those stories um that i did for for magazines would be written in first person so mm. that that's just a style that comes naturally to me and um with that kind of story as well it's like we have to we have to, but we taught to her or you learn to where to get the dramatic moments in there. Um, how to keep suspense, I guess, um, depending on what your subject matter is, but yes, certain. I mean, first person is, is, you know, I, I find it very difficult to write in anything, but to be quite honest. Right.
1: So. Okay. Okay. That's mm. interesting. So once you, um, done that course and you'd got sort of the kitty up and running and the story up and running let's talk about the the journey to publication because I I understand (laughs) you know you had a it was it was not a smooth road to publication tell us about that
2: so yeah I so I finished the manuscript I had some mentoring help um through an author called Julia Crouch um who's very well known for her her domestic her domestic noir thrillers um she'd actually been my tutor on the Faber course and um, she mentored me through the process of finishing the manuscript and sort of helping me just just craft it, because obviously you know going from writing sort of features, I mean even you know back when I was writing the the longer form pieces for magazines, even those would be sort of like eight hundred words, a thousand mm. words. Going from writing something of that length to you know eighty thousand words is a huge huge difference so she was a, a massive help um to me through that process um and then I took it to uh, another author who is a friend called Stephanie Butland um to just do a kind of manuscript assessment on it read it through it didn't basically be a, a, a beta reader for me which she did yeah. and came back with some some really helpful notes as well um so at that point, I sent it to a couple of males, ma- male males, a couple of men. A couple I know. Of males, <laughs> males. You know, I said it like that.
1: Males of the species.
2: <laughs> a couple of. I was going. I was going for male friends, but it didn't come out quite that. Like that today, <laughs> it <laughs> came out with some disdain. Some males. No, I didn't mean that. I sent it to a couple of guys I know because I wanted a male perspective on it to for them right, to. Right, um, I I think I've, I've thanked them in the acknowledgements and I've called them like my male sensitivity readers basically to <laughs> make sure they don't find it you know really offensive to men because that was the other thing you know I I I don't hate men. That's just you know it's of course I don't. And I don't, Kitty doesn't hate all men either. She just hates a particular type. And um, I think that's fair enough. Um, (laughs) So so they read it and was kind of like, you know, it's cool. Um, So I started doing the, started querying with agents, um, which didn't go very well. Um, And there were, I did get a lot of rejections and a lot of rejections and a lot of rejections, some really good feedback generally. Um, but you know, I think, as I've always said, a no's a no. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what ribbon you put on it.
1: Uh, were there, were these, did anyone sort of object to the subject matter? Do you think it, it sort of frightened agents away?
2: Possibly, and I think there was that. And then I think what happened was obviously there was the Bell and Mackey book, which has done How to Kill Your Family, which has, you know, done incredibly well. And I think that sort of has, opened. I mean, at first I was livid about it because I'd started, as far as I know, I'd started writing mine earlier.
1: (laughs) And I was like, No!
2: Um, but they're not actually that similar at all. I mean, no. the storylines are extremely different. The characters are very different. But it actually has opened. I think it's opened up a lot of of doors that yeah. were maybe. I think because it was such a dark period of society at that time, it was like you know this kind of book about murders and and deaths is wasn't what agents were really looking for. I, I mean, I, I I don't know. I'm not an agent, but I'm assuming that you know during this really bleak sort of period of early sort of 2021 which is when I was um I started querying was um you know we were sort of well into that winter lockdown and it was just horrible um and I I guess that they were looking for more
1: joyful upbeat yeah uplift, happy we stories heard a lot of uplit and cozy they were mm. looking for that at that time yeah I guess so yeah, yeah. so
2: I think that was and and you know, the feedback I was getting was, you know, your writing's really good. This, you know, the character's really good, but it's not what we're looking for, and that kind of thing. And I got to the point where I was like, oh, um, okay. Um I'm just gonna sort of shelve it for a bit. Um, I enrolled on a creative writing MA at the University of Winchester, um, which I started did I start that? Towards the end of 2021. Um But around that time, I'd sent it off to um, just sort of a handful of publishers who had open – and, you know, a few publishers will have open submission windows at various points over the year. So I sort of sent it to a handful, not overly optimistically, because obviously of the experience um, I'd had with agents and stuff, and sort of that was it really. And then um, I I ended up having four – I think it was four offers directly from publishers – um, which was obviously interesting. um and h q just was so. um Belinda Tor, who is my editor for for How to Kill Men, was just so enthusiastic about the book and the character and it just they just completely won me over so it it, it, it wasn't really a, a, a competition in the end of who to choose <laughs> to go with but I am um, I sort of I signed my contract I think it was on the day of um the, one of the one of the first lectures that I had for, for the MA was it was still online at that time but I signed my contract with for, you know it was a two book contract with HQ on that day and it was like this is so weird it's like I've already got a book. <laughs> was just like it wasn't how i intended it to be obviously but it was a good a good feeling so yeah it's been um it has been an interesting journey because it's it, it's that kind of if you go down the traditional publishing route i think people that you're always being told you know you need an agent you must have an agent it's so important to have an agent and such a lot of um you know on the online courses and the advice groups and newsletters you can sign up for a lot of um Space is is given to your your pitching package, um, and I sort of did it without that. I sort of I've done it the other way around, and I, I do have an agent now um, right. who is Ewan at um, AM Heath, um, who kind of took me on, even though I was already in a two book deal, and 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 you know, knowing I'd signed all the rights away because I wasn't quite sure what a contract was. was right. like, yeah. <laughs> 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 so um i mean and and that's kind of like having someone who's got the faith in you and and you know on, on the back of sort of one manuscript really who's willing to sort of take you on and not make any money out of you for a couple of years is actually for me that was a huge boost because it was like okay i must be quite good i guess
1: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so you mentioned a two book deal there what's what's coming next katie
2: so the second one is um it's again, it is it's dark, it's a dark comedy. Um it's quite different. The main character is very different. She's a uh, much more of your sort of everyday woman. Um, but there's still a lot of the, the themes of feminism and um violence against women, um, that kind of thing going on in there. But it's it's a murder mystery. Um so it, it's this character who's basically trying to find out, trying to sort of get around it without giving too much away, who's killed someone close to her. But she's also sort of tackling something else, which is kind of a huge issue for women. This is so vague. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. um, but tonly, tonly, Tonley, is it similarly sort of twisted and funny and...
2: Yes, it's still got the same sort of dark humour, and um, I think the main character Molly is. I mean, she's she's very different from Kitty. She's much more relatable. She's much more, as I say, you know, sort of every woman. But she's um, she has sort of got the same sort of slightly jaded and world weary <laughs> outlook <the> on <context>, life, <laughs> but for completely different reasons, um, which become clear. But um, yeah, it's still it it, it, it it's not. It won't be as controversial. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And, and i some people, some reviewers, um, some people who've left me reviews on Amazon will be very pleased to know that I've actually spoken to a
1: a police advisor on this one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, right. So did they did they pick up on a few things? Is
2: that <laughs> it, it's made me laugh. I mean, I've tried to sort of stay away from reviews as much as possible. I mean, it's it's almost it's almost impossible to not read them, but I've yeah. tried not to because, you know, it's just that human thing, isn't it? You can have like nine nice ones and it's that one that that's number. not nice, that'll keep you awake yeah. at night. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but, um,
2: yeah. there, were, there were a few sort of ones that have, they've accepted this sort of, that she's a vegan serial killer. They've been fine with that. Um <laughs> Fine with the fact that she sort of inherited uh, a meat production company handily to get rid of the bodies, yeah, you know, men twice her size. However, they've not been very happy about the fact that there's a lot of CCTV in London, and I haven't mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, actually, I mean, uh, weirdly, again, I've been looking into this for something I'm writing on, and most CCTV is useless, absolutely useless. Mm. Since it's actually very difficult to get hold of it. But anyway, that's a, that's a debate for another day. Well, look, whatever's <laughs> coming next, Katie, we're really looking forward to it. And um, thanks Thank so much you. for speaking to us today. Hope to speak to you again soon.
2: Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Oh, where do we begin, Mark? I mean, there's so much to go through there. I, 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 I love this idea of... Uh, Tone and satire. This this idea of how do you, because it's a fine line, isn't it, between satire and humour? And actually, depending on where you, where you are in the world, one thing I've learned moving to North America is is like British humour, for example. Sometimes um it, there's there's different. Well, I should say there's different types of humour in different parts of the world. Humour does like,
1: humour doesn't really travel. It doesn't humor, travel. I sometimes humor, crack a
0: joke and people are like, oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it, it, it can be really, really difficult. It's something you can get really, really wrong. And I think with this book in particular as well, you're dealing with, uh, you know, murder and sexism and misogyny and misandry and, you know, all sorts of stuff that really pushes people's buttons and can rub people up the wrong way, you know. Uh, but I think, and she, you know, she talked about it. she was worried about a backlash. She was worried about the reaction But I think when you, certainly in your first draft, absolutely in your first draft, the one that is only for you, you have to be completely fearless. You have to write the stuff that you think is going to get you cancelled. You have to write the stuff that you think is going to, you know, have people uh, clutching their pearls or whatever and getting upset. uh, And then step back from it and go, okay is there anywhere here that I've gone too far and this is where you get our, you know trusted beta readers to come in and look at it and i've uh, you know i've done this as a as an editor and a consultant i've had Um, Tends tends to be a lot of middle aged white men who do this, who send me stuff and go, have I gone too far? What have I done here? And very often their fears are completely unfounded. You go, no, it's not you saying this. It's the character saying this. You know, this person is a villain. They're supposed to say this terrible thing so you can keep that in. You know, there is a there is a delineation between you and the character. And, of course, with Katie's book, she's writing in the first person as well. So it has that immediacy, you know. Um, but, you know, writing satire, it's – don't be afraid to exaggerate things. Don't be afraid to go – you know, I mean, Katie's writing in a tradition. I mentioned the uh, the Dexter books, you know, the, the Dexter serial killer books, which uh, were made into um, – to yeah, Morgan was it made to yeah it a well, show it, it was FX it was FX and uh, written by Jeff Lindsay who I, I met because we we published them when I was at Orion and the books are they really really push the boundaries you know and is completely fearless about it so why shouldn't Katie be as fearless as, as as Jeff was you know and it's this thing satire takes takes the everyday and makes it seem abnormal or exaggerated or bigger and it's subversive and it it takes the Mickey and you know it tries to provoke a, that kind of wicked laugh that makes us look at life in a in a in a different way but it's it's really hard because it it doesn't travel you worry about offending people and the other the other problem i have as well is publishing is very nervous about stuff like this because publishing mm. doesn't know what's funny and doesn't know what's uh what's going to make people laugh and or, so they or, what's, they or
0: what's going to change within 12 months when the book actually comes out from when they decided the title. Because things are moving so quickly right yeah, now, I absolutely. feel in society, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we're, yeah, so, yeah. we're in the middle of such massive transitions on so many levels. I mean, look at what's happened in the last couple of years with the Me Too movement. It's yeah. I mean, you go back a few years and none of none of that was being talked about. And and yet in the last few years there's been there's so much focus on it and there's been so mm-hmm. much positive change as a result which is brilliant yeah. but it's a, it's yeah. a really hard one isn't it i mean in, in fast moving industries fair enough but publishing's not exactly the uh,
1: it's not speedy gonzales it's is not it? speedy gonzales <laughs> in many
0: <laughs> not traditional publishing i mean we know indie authors that can write a book and it's out the next week yeah. but it's yeah. it's an interesting one what well, one thing i find interesting as well uh, being in in north america we we get a lot of um, the british um comedy comedians on Netflix. Yes. And and there's there's certain comedians that we know of, you know, mentioning their names back in the 80s, 90s, that that they're those kind of those kind of comedians and their their routines are no longer in, relevant in today's world. But it still amazes me just what what people can get away with. I mean, and how kind of like incredibly funny and shocking and and it's so it's this kind of morphing it's this morph, morphing world of, um, you know, we can't, let, we can't let satire and comedy die because it's super, super important. No,
1: I, th- but- I think I think the one rule with comedy is, is it funny? Now, I know that sounds glib and simplistic, but if it makes you laugh, it's funny. Now, it may, you may take pause after laughing and go, oh, should I have laughed at that? But that's a good thing because suddenly you're thinking that's humour doing what it's supposed to do. Humour, yes, it's supposed to make you laugh, but the good humour is thought-provoking. It makes you step back and go, oh, let's think about that. Should I have laughed at that? Am I laughing down? Am I punching down? Or is there something else behind it? Or is it is it a reflection of this character? Because very often a comedian will take on a persona of, of a character that's not really them. You know, so it's... Uh, it's oh, i mean i could talk about this all day it's, I mean, it's a
0: rabbit hole isn't it i yeah. i i do wonder whether whether it's if it makes you laugh but if it also makes if it's targeted at someone or something if it would make
1: that group laugh well that's the concept of punching down that's that's the, that's the idea that you're taking people who are already subject to humiliation and uh, uh and and just making it worse for them in which case if that's the case it's not funny because no. if you have if you have a, a kind of a conscience, you'll know that that's not funny. But if it's if it's making fun of people in a position of privilege, or uh, you know, if if these are people who uh, you know are in a kind of entitled position, then maybe it is funny because that's what sat- satire pokes fun at power. Yeah. And you know, you look at uh, certainly the UK in post-war Britain, you had you know, shows like That Was The Week That Was and people like Jonathan Miller and Alan Bennett and Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, Peter Cook especially, very suddenly very anti-establishment. They were poking fun at the people who won the war. You know, imagine how controversial that was at the time. It's difficult for us to to see it now. But they Mm. were having a go at people like Churchill and and the establishment and the people that the perception was they had won the war for us, so we we should all doff our cap and move on, and they were saying, actually, no, no. Things have got to change. If we, what what did we win the war for? Was it was it just to be, you know, business as usual? Or do things have to change? So satire will provoke people. And you know, we've always said on this podcast, whatever genre you're writing, no matter what your tone is, you're never going to please everyone. You know, you you are going to upset people. There are going to be people who don't, you know, like what you've written. So I think as long as you accept that and are willing to roll with the punches when people. Don't like your stuff, and we'll get on to reviews in a minute, you know. (laughs) I think that's next on the menu. Uh that's all part of being a writer. So I think I think if you're sitting there thinking, if you're one of these people go, Well, you can't say anything these days, yes, you can. You can say absolutely anything you want, but it does come a consequence. There are people out there who are going to be upset by things. And you're just going to have to accept that. That is part of the job of being a writer. It's part of your responsibility and accountability of being a writer is sometimes you're going to say stuff that people doesn't like. That was almost a grammatical sentence. You're going to say stuff people won't like, you know. So it doesn't matter how safe you are. I mean, you could write the coziest crime with no swears and, you know, someone will be offended by it. Someone will find something in there to be annoyed by. You know, so it's, uh, it, it comes with the territory, I'm afraid. It's just goes from one extreme to another.
0: Fantastic. Now, talk, let's, let's move on to, to reviews as well, because there's something Katie talked about and oh boy, yeah. something we've all <laughs> experienced, I believe in life. If you've ever put anything out there in the world where there is any kind of star rating, so it can be measured, there, <laughs> there will always be that review, no matter how many good reviews you get, there'll be that one review that you just can't shake and it just sticks with you and you start having conversations with that reviewer in your head and you talk about how could they be so cruel and mean. And I spent so much time writing this book and they spent two seconds like, you know, (laughs) writing about how it didn't work for them. And it is, I I, I kind of think of it as like one bad Apple review. It's like the idea is that you could have have book of the month, you Mm. could have 50,000 you know, five star reviews are the most amazing things said about your book. But if there's one scathing review that absolutely is like a dagger to the heart, why? Why do we do that as human beings? Why do, why do we get so focused on that one voice? That like, what, what are we masochists? I don't understand what what the concept is within human psychology that we get so hung up on that. But we all do it, don't we?
1: Oh boy, do we! I mean, we, you know. We've had lovely reviews from Welcome. We had lovely reviews. I remember for Robot Overlords, you know, Kermode said nice things about it. Um, you know, all sorts of people liked the film. But the only one I can quote, the only one I can remember is a two-word review. Someone called it Dr. Pooh. <laughs> one, it cracked me up, and two, it's just, it's just you know, nearly ten years later, it's the one review I can remember. You know, so it's they do, and I, well, let's let's dig into it, let's figure this out because is this because uh we're trained to remember criticism? Is it because we're we're told you know f- from school onwards? we remember the see me comments or must do better and gloss over the praise. Is, is, that why, you know, is, 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 it, is it kind of conditioning that we've, we've gone through that we only remember the bad things and don't accentuate the positive as the song goes. I mean,
0: yeah. Yeah. I think, I think for me, I think what tends to happen is we, we really, we feed off this concept that we need everyone to like our stuff. And that part of the issue with that as well is that when people sit down to write a book, they're asking the question, how do I write a book that will please the most people? Because that means a bestseller and the most sales, but it doesn't, does it? it it's always, it's always the opposite of that. Um, if you try to please everyone, you please no one. I mean, we, you, you get your, we talked about it last week, didn't you? The three star reviews on average, which yeah, nobody yeah. Really, really wants. Yeah. But um, you know, I was, I was scanning through the, I was scanning through the, good reads for how to kill the men how to kill men and get away with it and you know there are there are like you know two thousand four and five star reviews right and but there are one star reviews there as well and but you when you read these reviews you can see that it just wasn't for those people who got one star and the people that loved it loved it so that's what you want um so I think I think we almost like need to rewire our brains so that when we get a one-star review, we don't see it as a slight on our ability to write a, a good story or our ability as, to be a good author. And honestly, if they say something that's relevant in there, I'm always the first to say, hey, you know what? I could actually learn from that. Um, mm. And I'm going to use that. That's great. Thank you very much for that one-star review. That's going to make me a better author. But the majority, I think, of one-star reviews, and I'm just scanning through some now, it's just that it's like you know, they're into heavy metal and this book's reggae, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, yeah. <laughs> it's just their personal preference. Um, and I, I think also- with a book like this, it pulls people in and they're expecting a certain type of novel, I think, as well. And if it doesn't yeah, hit, yeah. hit that trope, then maybe, yeah. you know, yeah, there's yeah. a challenge.
1: I think there might be an evolutionary thing in this as well. You know, if, when we were sort of living in caves and hunter-gatherers, it probably was a good idea to focus on the scary things on the things that uh you know the the the, the rustling in the reeds that might be a lion about to eat us or whatever mm. maybe it's maybe maybe it said this is psycho babble of the highest order here. Uh, maybe it's um, maybe there's a there's a link to sort of an evolutionary thing that uh we yeah. we just you know we we just look out for the bad things we have a greater awareness of what we see as an attack maybe because i think we do see these things as as personal attacks and they're not they're not attacks on us as an author usually it's it's very rare that the author gets singled out in the reviews it's usually i didn't like this character i didn't like the events in the story i didn't like the ending or whatever um, it's rare yeah. that they go. This author is an absolute
0: monster and must never write again. You yeah. know. I've, I've- well, we we've talked about this so many times on the podcast about what makes a good story or what makes a great story is is conflict. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, a five star review. There's no conflict in that, is there? <laughs> it's like, oh, love me, love me. Oh, you you've made my day. I started crying when I read your review. It's like all lovely and it's wonderful. <laughs> Whereas a one star review, that's total conflict. It's like, what do you mean? <laughs> What do you mean you didn't like this, didn't I? Like I mean, so I think we respond to it because there's, con- it just, just like a good book, we respond to it. I mean, we know it works in stories, so we must understand that in our own lives. So we, we have a, the biggest reaction to a one-star review yeah um, because of the conflict involved in it and then then we start having to kind of second guess like well, who is this person and then well, what have yes. what have they done in that have they written a book <laughs> it's like exactly yeah yeah who, yeah who are they to say if if you've written 10 books and give me yeah they're fair enough but if you've never written a book if you don't know how hard it is to write a book how can you do this <laughs> i know um, I, I i i know
1: authors who will go through amazon and find the other things that person has reviewed and yeah they go, well to try- they, they exactly. Have, yeah. Actually, this they, create, ha- they
0: create they create like dossiers on every one star. And they're stalking <laughs> <in> them all, <laughs> and they're like, yeah. I, this this sort of happened to me to-
1: when we did the Edinburgh Festival in two thousand and three. I did a play there, and we got a stinky review from someone. I can't even remember who it was, and it was my lighting guy, Phil. And if you're listening, Phil, I love you a bit. So this is brilliant. Phil looked this person up <laughs> and started looking at this this reviewer's reviews, and he basically said. He hates everything. He just hates everything. And he's yeah. and, and what I realized then actually, places like the Edinburgh Festival, as much as writers and actors and producers go there to make a name for themselves, it's also where a reviewer can build a portfolio very quickly. You can do three, four, five shows in a day, write reviews for all of them, and then you can say, you know, go to yeah. you know whoever and say, look, I've written all these reviews, I'm a reviewer. And it's and it is so much easier to write a snarky review
0: than a constructive one all right as well. i've i've had i've had this idea mark I've, <laughs> i'm going to put it out there into the world because i'm not going to do this but i want someone to do this so if you're going to do this let us know credit us with the idea but please do it for all authors out there i want you know how you get like it on airbnb you get to you know the, the the person staying at the airbnb gets to put in a uh a review of yes. the, the host and the, the place. Oh, it was lovely. It was, oh, it was a complete mess. But you know how the Airbnb host can also... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you see where I'm going with this? So what we need, folks, is we need the one star com website, which basically, every time you get a one-star review, you flag it up, and then if they're flagged up enough... Anyone else who ever gets a one star review from that from that reviewer can go there and go, oh, well, they're just a one starer. That's all they ever do. I can dismiss it, and then we can all just live in peace and be happy. That that is a genuinely good idea, I think. right? It is, oh, isn't it? Is it? It would it, it would it would absolutely work because <laughs> because then it would hold the one star reviewers accountable to say all you ever do is one star. So. Mm. Like stop doing reviews if all you're doing is just you're just angry with the world and you're using authors as yeah. your bait exactly exactly <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like What's give them a negative
1: waves man. <laughs> all
0: right, so folks, I'm putting it out there. First person to go register that domain is probably even available. I'm not even going to bother looking, but it probably is onestarreviews.com maybe I don't know something like that. Build it with AI. Just stick it in AI and say, build me a website. And, and yes, and, 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 and I think it would be a very funny website. And maybe it'd be a place where all authors can share their ones. It can be like a therapy mm, group for for, yeah. for authors where we can all get together and, and talk about, you know, I got, this, I got this one story review and we read them to each other rather than put them on Twitter and just, just expose them that way. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we've got a lot more to talk about, folks, but if you would like to stay with us for the extended edition of this podcast, we're Ooh. going to talk about provocative titles and that is going to be very prod- provocative in itself. So you've got to yep. join us for that. And we're also going to talk about how you can get a deal with a major publisher without an agent, which is absolutely bonkers. Uh, so we're going to deep dive on that. So folks, if you'd like to join us and... As a bonus, support this podcast as well and pop into bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. Sign up to become a patron and you'll get access to all of the extra goodies, including the extended. So Mark, I know that there's a ton of wins and celebrations this week. What's, what, have you, what have you discovered out there? It's all good stuff.
1: It's all good, positive stuff. After all that sweary stuff we had in the extended version. Um, So let's start with Tracy Montague. Now, this is wonderful. Tracy uh, is a regular in the BXP team on Facebook, and uh, she's also a midwife. She says, I've done a tentative launch for my maternity in fiction consultancy service for writers and editors. And she's added a page to her website. Now, do check this out because... You know, we, we've we've had police people on here. We've, you know, we've had experts on here. Uh, and you see people getting stuff wrong. I mean, Katie talked about this. She talked about some of the stuff, the police procedural stuff that she got wrong in her book and people have pointed it out to her. Um, now, maternity and pregnancy is one of these things where people think they're experts, but they're not. You know, so always always get the advice of an expert. And actually, Tracy has done a brilliant uh, article for the writers and Artists yearbook about getting uh, maternity facts and right in your fiction so i'm going to put a link in the show notes to that uh because it's a, you know uh, it's important to check it out and also a link to tracy's services and i think this is brilliant that tracy's branched out this not least because she said that the birth scene in my film Unwelcome was pretty good actually oh, which is high praise that's indeed. Good.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Love it.
1: So do check that out. Do check that out. Congrats Tracy. It's great when you if you're an author and you discover you've got an expertise that will benefit others and you know it's it's a service that you can provide that can be you know be um uh, you know you can monetize and, and make some cash out of it as well. So think about that folks. If you have you got a skill uh, or uh, an expertise that you can you can offer to other writers so check that out um Over on the Academy, William Group uh, in Share Your Wins, he says his new book, Unworthy, came out on April 14th. And funny enough, today I saw him putting an unboxing video up for the paperback, which has just come out as well. And he says, and I enrolled in Kindle Unlimited. Uh, Since I never advertised uh, his first book, no one read it. But he says he started doing some advertising with the new book. And when he checked his account last night, he had page reads. Now, is there anything sweeter? Now, sales are one thing. Okay. You can see that someone's bought a book, but you don't know if someone's actually reading it. But with Kindle Unlimited, you can check in every day and see, uh, oh, blimey, someone's actually reading my book. Someone's written a hundred. I mean, he says it was 104 pages, which equated to about 40 cents, but it's a milestone nonetheless. And it absolutely is. You know for a fact that someone out, someone in the world is reading your book. And that is really, really exciting. So, William, we salute you. Congratulations. First of millions of page reads, we think. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Fantastic.
1: Uh, In the Share Your Wins on the Academy as well. This is from Sandra Hunter. Now, Sandra Hunter is just uh, a Keystone member of the Academy. Uh, You know, comes to my craft coaching and surgeries and just absolutely wonderful, wonderful writing. She says, guys, guys, I'm back from a week-long writer's retreat and that island of time was just what I needed to get the first draft of my Ellen Ray Book 2 done. Ellen Ray is a fantasy series. and I've, I've had the privilege of reading bits of it. It's just wonderful. She says, it'll need heavy editing. But because I wrote the finale many, many months ago when decided to break what I thought was book two into book two and three. Anywho, she says, uh, I liked editing anyway uh, and cheers to all and happy writing. So she's finished that rough draft. And I mean, you know, Sandra in the Academy. As well oh, that I, uh,
0: honestly, I know Sandra really well. And, and um, this is such a massive milestone because mm. I remember coaching. And this is, again, you know, kind of referencing in in the life coaching in the academy, I remember having a very specific coaching session um, one, one Monday with, with Sandra and a group of other people that are all struggling with their books. And it was like that moment of like, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. And it was, I I I can't see where to go. And it was like one of those moments where you think, is this, is is this book going to stop here? Is it actually going to stop? So the fact that Sandra pushed through is a massive inspiration to everyone out there. If you're in that muddy middle or whatever we like to call it, and you really can't see a way out and you're demotivated and it's just kind of, and this is the story to follow, Sandra's story, because we followed all the way through with this, with this book. And the fact that she hit that first draft end is massive. So congratulations, Sandra, and also to everyone else that I hope I hope that she has inspired you to just push through, just push through and keep going because you can do it.
1: Got a lovely post from Karen's Story, uh, who at the beginning of the year started entering a whole bunch of short story competitions, so many that she kept a spreadsheet to keep track of them. So Karen says, I've been looking through my spreadsheet for short stories to enter this year, chastising myself for lagging behind on entries. When I noticed i had entered the Fish Anthology Flash Fiction Competition, blimey, try saying that fast with your teeth in, uh, in January, and the results were out. Due out on tenth of April, and she said, "Oh, it's another one where I wasn't listed, or they would have emailed me." Right? So she just went on their website, having decided to be nosy and just see if she recognised anyone on the list. And then she saw her name. She was on the actual <laughs> shortlist with <laughs> the lovely. flash piece she had entered. She said, "I didn't win a prize, but hey, they had you know, eleven hundred entries for this competition. I ended up in a group of thirty-seven. That's Amazing. enough for me
0: to
1: enough for me to call it a win. Glass of wine tonight to celebrate that. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, it? I love it. I mean, Absolutely. firstly the fact that
0: Karen has a spreadsheet because she's got so." many i think that is brilliant like like what a great problem to have i've got so many short stories but um it, it's almost like um you know you, you, just the fact that she didn't know that she'd been shortlisted that is absolutely brilliant so solutions you know massive massive uh, congrats to you karen and uh, she's had so much success this year with short stories it's been absolutely bonkers so brilliant really really great great work And last, but by no means least. Now,
1: one of the things we talked about on Monday with our um, presentation to the Academy and and new people was talking about the importance of a newsletter and setting up a newsletter. So this is from the Witch of Whitby on Twitter. Uh, Finally, after months of procrastination, they've set up a newsletter. So the witchy gossip from the Enchanted Emporium, book news and exclusive content can appear in your inbox like magic. And they said, thanks to the bestseller experiment for giving her the swift kick. So I'm going to put a link, not least because because The Witch of Whitby has given The uh, Witches of Woodville a nice review in the past, so oh. <laughs> do check that out. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's so important, newsletters, so important. Yeah. It's your direct line between you and your readers, so congrats on that. I've signed up. I'm sure many others will too
0: and stuff. Well, thank you everyone for all of your lovely emails this week and for everyone who's who's breaking through and getting those milestones, getting those wins. We salute you all. And if you have anything you'd like to share with us then pop along to the bestsellerexperiment.com website, click on the contact button at the top of the menu there and send Mark and I an email to tell us all about it and we'll give you a mention on the show. And uh also again a quick reminder if you're interested in doing the 200 word a day in May challenge Pop along to uh, the Bestseller Experiment website or the Academy website. We can click and sign up to do that. Mark, where can people find us on socials? On social media, on Facebook, we're Bestseller Experiment, Twitter, and Instagram,
1: we are at BestsellerXP. Come and say hello, message us. Uh, just... What I'd love to know is where people are listening to us. Let us know where you're listening to us. So if you got to the end? And this is, you know, where are you, are you? Are you driving? Are you walking? Are you doing the washing up? Are you walking the dog? That kind of thing. Let us know. Love to know about it. Yeah, you know, drop us a line. Um, And we have a contact us button on the
0: bestsellerexperiment.com as well. We've had quite a few emails recently. It's terrific. Excellent stuff. Brilliant. Well, listen, have a great writing week, everyone. And we look forward to seeing you next week. It's a goodbye from Mark 1. And a goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs)